I want to show you somebody. Let's put her picture on the screen if we can do that. This is Mandisa. Mandisa is a, uh, a singer. She's a follower of Jesus, and she loves, she just loves to sing about her relationship with God. And I want to show you this morning her, her latest music video. Your mind, nothing's really going right. Looking for 
so Mendisa was nominated for a Grammy this year, and the Grammys were held this last Sunday night, and Mendisa was not there. On Monday, she blogged this. At 4 p.m. yesterday, I was not glammed up in a fancy gown, sitting in my seat at the Grammy Award pre-telecast, listening to the man reading the nominee list for Best Gospel Contemporary Christian Music Performance, Best CCM Song, and Best CCM Album. I was rocking some purple sweats, sitting in front of my computer, watching a live stream online. If you saw the video I posted yesterday, you heard my utter shock and immediate flood of tears, not to mention my phone blowing up when Overcomer was read as CCM song and album of the year. I could not believe it. And I'm thinking, girl, why weren't you there? Why weren't you? Her action actually echoes the thoughts of the first century apostle Paul when he wrote these words to his friends in Philippi, that area is now known today as Macedonia. And here's what he wrote in Philippians 3, verse 7. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when, I, when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and then become one with him. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. But I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Several months ago, I confessed to Pam that sometimes when she is already asleep, I walk into the room, I just stare at her. I stalk my wife. <laughs> and what's going on at that moment is this. After 38 years of marriage, I still get these butterflies. I just, I just get this, this excitement inside my chest. And, and my thoughts are these. I, I just can't believe this girl first loved me and still loves me after all these years because I just can't figure out why she'd want to do that. And that I get to do life with her. So my life decisions for these last 38 years have been based upon this. How do I keep treasuring this gift given to me? Because I never want to lose it. Now, if you can imagine that feeling, I want you to multiply it by 100, maybe 1,000 times. Because I want you to understand that that is the feeling that we're designed to have when we think about God. God, I can't believe you love me. It should just give us butterflies. I can't believe you love me, that you want to do life with me. That's why Paul wrote these words. That's why he said that there is just one thing I do. And he, he equates it to running a race. He's using the... the the imagery of the, the games. And, and he says, I'm running this race and I'm making my life decisions in this race based upon the fact that I don't want to lose that gift ever. I want to treasure what I'm doing. So my life decisions are based upon this fact that God loves me and I just, I can't believe that. In fact, he says this, God is cheering me. The word that he used here is that, that, that God called me to this. God is the one who invited me. God is cheering me on. 
You ever been in, in a relationship and, and you think you love the person, but you're not sure they love you and you don't want to be the first one to say it? Been there? I can tell you Pam was the first one because she's the first one who said, I love you. Because I was afraid. I was afraid that, that, that if I said that, she wouldn't love me in return and it, it would be a mess. And so, to be honest with you, I was such a, a klutz in, in relationships that after she told me that she loved me, that for weeks after that, when I'd write her a note, a love note, I would sign it with much affection. <laughs> Isn't that right? Yeah. God is the first one to say, I love you. He said it first. In fact, the scripture says that we love him because he first loved us. We said, okay, he loves us. We can love him. God is cheering us on. God is saying, keep going. You were made for this. You are an overcomer. So overcome every single obstacle that would be in the way of us having an intimate relationship together. And you say, when I get to that finish line, there's Jesus standing with this, with this laurel wreath. That's the imagery to say, you finished. You did it. You did what? You did the one thing, the one thing, the one thing you're made to be and made to do. How many in this place are followers of Jesus? To follow Jesus is to intentionally do one thing. And if we don't do that one thing, then we're not us. Because our prayer during this, this, these last few weeks is a reflection of the prayer of Soren Kierkegaard who said, and now, Lord, with your help, I shall become myself. In fact, would you just pray that with me right now? Say that with me. Make it your prayer. And now, Lord, with your help, I shall become myself. What am I admitting when I pray that? I'm admitting this that we are created to be one thing, just one thing, one thing, God's perfect lover. You say, but I just, I'm just not perfect. Okay, well, let me help you understand. When, when Paul uses that word perfect, it does not mean without fault. It means this. This is a piano. And you say, man, look at, look at the surface on that piano. That is so cool. I could use that today for my buffet during Super Bowl. Because I mean, it's just, it's flat and it's, 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 it's big and we'll just push this thing over and, and, and I, I can put the nacho stuff here and the hot pizza here and, and the, the hot dogs and, and, and all the health food just right there. <laughs> and it'll work and we'll probably burn the surface and we'll get nacho junk all over the, and then fall down on the keys, but it, that's great. Some of you say, well, look at that thing. You know, if we knock the legs off that thing and tear this lid off, you know how many people of us could get in this thing and go down peak and peak on a, like a sled? <laughs> That'd be so cool. Or we can put John Hamilton right there and as he begins to play those keys, you go, ah, that piano is perfect for music. God looks at you and he says, it's not that, that, that I wait till the moment that you have no faults. I'm looking at you now saying, you're absolutely perfect for the love relationship I have with you. You're perfect for that. James, a follower of Jesus, the bishop of Jerusalem, said this though. You can't be a lover of God. You can't be God's lover and the world's lover, the culture's lover. You can't do that. 
And we want to. We so desperately want to because we live a life of multiplicity. We want all, all the, the benefits of everything. We want this and this. We, we, we live in a world of a whole lot of options and we want all those options. I mean, that's why if you go to Starbucks today, you can choose from 87,000 possibilities. And some of you have had them all. 87,000. Because we want our options. Ladies, if you go home today and, and you have to empty your purse and only have one thing, would that freak you out? Guys, if you were told you have to go into the shop and you can only have one tool, would that bother you? Because we want our options. St. Augustine made it pretty clear that we'd wrestle with this because this was his prayer. Lord, give me chastity, purity. And then he said, but not yet. God, give me purity, but also let me still have sensuality because I'd like to have both right now because I'm not ready to just choose one thing. Lord, help me love my neighbor but please allow me to hate them when necessary. Lord, I, I want to be generous. Help me to be generous, but I still want all that stuff. To be single-focused demands intentionality. And that's why James wrote these words, purify yourselves, you double-minded. We must clean out our hearts so that there is just one thing. Paul said, I go for one thing. Nine years ago, on my birthday, my wife surprised me, and at home she blindfolded me and then took me for a ride. We ended up here at the church gym. And so as we walked into the gym, it was quiet, and then she took the blindfold off, and you really can't see the picture very well, but there were about 300 people in the gym. And you get closer to this picture, you'll see something really weird. Because what she did is... In preparation for the party, she found pictures of my childhood and cut out faces and put them on sticks and everybody had my face in front of them. <laughs> it freaked me out. <laughs> it was so weird. I was so afraid the next morning, which was Sunday, I'm going to see them out in the audience. Just... <laughs> it is just so weird to see all these people who I know as, and, and, as who they are sitting there with this, this face that's not them. It's, it's, it's me. Our culture wants us to do that. Our culture wants us to be somebody else. It's called conforming. Paul confronted that to the church of Rome. He said this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Don't wear a mask. Jeff Newbert, don't wear a mask. Don't wear a mask of the culture. Scotty, don't wear a mask of the, of the society around you. Lucy, don't wear a, a religious mask. Don't show up here on Sunday morning saying, this is what people are supposed to look like. He said, I want you to have genuineness. I, I want you to have authenticity. I want you to come before me without any mass saying, here's my religious mass, here's what I do. I go to mass, I go to Wednesday night service, I do these, I give it an offering. You know, get that stuff down. I just want to know who you are. Who are you? Because then I can transform you. It comes from two words, meta and morpho. 
where we get the word what? Metamorphosis. Meta means to connect. God says, I want you to connect to me. I want you to come to me in complete authenticity. That's why the psalmist would cry out, I come to you and I want you to look inside of me and see if there's any harmful way. I am totally authentic before you. Here I am. If you can't be authentic with God, you can't be changed. God already knows. So you say, God, here's who I am. And then he says, now we begin morpho, which means to shape by the arrangements of the parts. God says, I am now going to shape you. And in a relationship, you have to be shaped, become the lover of the person you need to be. Pam and I have been married 38 years, and we're still shaping each other. I, I saw the other day a book. It says, everything men know about women. I opened it up. Pages were blank. So my mom left last Tuesday. She came up to visit with us for, she was here for a month and a couple of days, and Pam can tell you the exact hours. And it was, it was actually great to have my mom here. She came to be with us after my father had died, and it was just good to have her here. And, and, and so last week, or the week before, before she left, as she was getting ready to leave, because she's been here for a month, and she and Pam have been spending a lot of time together, my mom needed an extra suitcase to go home. <laughs> so I went out into the garage, and our garage has two cars in it, and all our storage is in the garage, so we don't have a lot of room, so everything is pieced in there precisely the way it needs to be to get everything in there. And so the suitcase is way down below, so I have to rearrange everything, and I don't want to move the cars out, and so I'm moving, stepping over planters and, and around stuff, and, and, and things are falling, and stuff's falling off the top onto my car, and finally I go, oh! And I walk in with a suitcase, and Pam said, well, what was that? I said, oh, and I said, stuff's falling. And she looked at me, and she said, if we take our times, we don't get frustrated. I said, my mom's already here. I don't need another one. <laughs> Do you know what that was besides war? <laughs> that was shaping. I don't need you to be my mother. I don't need you to be frustrated. How do we deal with that? Let's walk that through. It's being shaped. God said, now look, I'm going to work with you so that I can shape you. You say, okay, God, shape me. Now, here's our problem. Our problem is because we are such an instantaneous society, we want it done now. Shape us now. So we want to do the, remember Star Trek? Spock? The mind meld. We want a mind meld. I will just transfer to you the stuff you need to know. God mind meld me, and so we try to do that in the spiritual realm. I'll go to a Hillsong concert, and God, you just change me and shape me. I'll go see Pastor Jason and say, give me a prophetic word, and he will just blow my mind doesn't work that way. I don't care how many revivals you go to. You're not going to get there on a shortcut. Not going to happen. The truth of the matter is that our minds are shaped by progressive holy disruptions. There's nothing spooky about this. It's so pragmatic. And so Paul, writing to Timothy and, and training Timothy, writes these words. He says, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us. 
what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So I have some friends, Pam and I have some friends who are followers of Jesus and they're really into their freedom in Jesus, which I appreciate because none of us want to be legalistic or or bound by that and Jesus gives us this wonderful freedom. The thing that keeps us from misusing our freedom is both love and, and, and grace. Grace keeps us out of legalism. Love keeps us out of license. And so we have this boundary around us, and this is great freedom. And their freedom, they said, is that they can cuss whenever they want to cuss. And they said, I do, we just cuss. So they use a lot of F-bombs. And they just do. And, and they, they, they take great freedom in that. Jesus loves me, and I do the F-bomb thing. So I began to say, God, just sometimes I'm mad. Can I use an F-bomb? He said, not in church. I said, okay. <laughs> so I began to, 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 to try to figure this thing out for my life. And, and I had to go back to, to the great prophet Isaiah, who really did an incredible job of being a prophet of God and was very satisfied with his life the way it was. And God used him in tremendous ways to help guide a nation that was falling. And everything was cool. Everything was copacetic. It was good until they had a face-to-face with God, and the first thing out of his lips is this. When he sees God face-to-face in this vision, he says, I'm an unclean man with unclean lips. The stuff I thought was good is no good. I messed up. I thought, I thought I was okay with this, but I'm not okay with this. It's not what I thought it was, because understand that freedom is not freedom unless God cheers for it. So how do I know what God's cheering for? Paul said all Scripture. Scripture tells you that. What's God cheering for? You say, you mean just, just read, read the Bible? and that's it. No, understand that God's word without God is just a word. So you just can't read it and go, oh, well, it's kind of stale and, but, and they kill people. And it's, no, no, you've got, you got to connect to God when you read this thing. It's him. It's not just a, a, a sterile text message from God. This, this is FaceTime. This is Skyping with God. Say, God, I'm, I'm seeing you right here, right now. Talk to me about this. Because in that moment, you understand if God's booing for what you're doing or he's cheering, you'll understand that. And that, my friends, can become very disruptive to us, but at the same time purifying. God disrupts what he intends to transform. So God God meets Isaiah, and Isaiah says, I'm an unclean man with unclean lips. I'm undone. I'm falling apart. I've got nothing. I I have no integration of life anymore. I'm disintegrated. And God says, okay, good, now now we're getting somewhere. So then he says, I'm going to cleanse your lips. He cleanses his lips. Now watch this. This is the transformative part. He confesses. God says, I'm cleansing you because you understand now because you had a face-to-face with me. And see, let me just pause and say here, not many of us have that kind of a vision that changes us, but God says, I've given you my scriptures. It does the same thing. When you look in the scripture, God says, whoa, here, look, look, look. You go, oh, I didn't know that. God, what am I going to do? I'm going to cleanse you. I'm going to transform you. And watch what happens. Because he's transformed, he gets close enough to God that he can hear things that he never heard before. See, sometimes I say, God, why can't I hear you? And God said, I'm speaking. You're just not getting close enough because you're not dealing with stuff. Would you look in my scripture? I'll show that to you. Because now he hears God say, whom shall I send? Who will go? I got got plans. Who's going to do those? And Isaiah goes, ooh, me. I'm made for this. Me. Ooh, 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 ooh. I can do this. God says, okay, 
You're the guy. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then Paul says this, then, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Good means that which is beneficial to you and God and the people around you. That which is, which is pleasing, which means God's cheering. Okay, God, want, this is good stuff. God's happy with this. And that which is perfect, that which you are designed to be and to do. And the tool for that transformation to get us to that spot is all Scripture. All Scripture. All Scripture, he said, is God-breathed. And it is shaping. If I don't saturate myself in God's Word, then I begin to rationalize what I can legally do and still get to heaven. Because I got you guys. I got religion. I come to church and, the, and I'll hear... Pastor Jason or Pastor Don or Pastor Nicole speak, and I go, yeah, okay, do that. God says, no, you get in the scriptures because you need to know. You need to know because I'm going to talk to you. Otherwise, I just say, okay, here's what we believe, and I can do this thing, and I think I can get away with this, and I'll be good. I'll still get to heaven. Well, I might, but I'm, I'm not being shaped into his lover. That's the one thing, and I'm missing the one thing. So I thought about the F-bombs. And I thought, so if I'm God's lover and I get to that spot finally where either Jesus comes for us and takes us or I die and I end up with God and I, and I walk up and I see God in all his holiness, am I really going to say, what an effing great place you got here? I don't think so. And if that's the kind of lover I'm going to be that, that I would not ever insult him with that kind of language there and I'm being shaped now, why would I do it here? So the question I got to keep asking myself is no matter what I do, is it helping me become a better lover of God? If it's not, then I should back off no matter what it is. That's why Paul said, I press on to connect with Jesus in such a way that I understand that, that I become perfected, the perfect lover for him. And to do that, Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That word richly means let it just flow through you. Let the word of God just permeate every part of your life. Not just Sunday morning for an hour and a half at 8150 Oliver Road. Not just because you turned on TBN and, and you got some reruns of, of some great pastor. No. Let it permeate all the time everything about you. It's the only way you're going to be shaped to become the lover that God planned for you to be for him. He's shaping us. And you've got to do that to become what he's designed for us to be. So we've got to take in the scriptures raw. Not just the stuff I like. Yeah, you know, I like that whole Christmas thing and the baby in the manger. And so I'll read that stuff. That's really cool. And we'll read it on Christmas Eve. I'm really cool with that. And then, I, oh, the Easter thing. Poof, the Easter, the resurrection. Oh, man, that is so great. And, and we celebrate. And, and then the David and Goliath thing kills the giant, chops off his head. That is such a cool story. Except for Goliath. That wasn't a good deal for him. No, 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 no. He said all Scripture, even the stuff that confuses you or offends you, so God hardens Pharaoh's heart, then kills him because his heart is hardened. What? Figure that one out. I have friends who say, I don't read the Old Testament because that's really not the God I know. Well, 
that is the God and he is that way and all scripture he uses to shape us into his lover. Yeah, but what about the boring stuff? And so he begat him, begat him, begat him, begat him, begat him, begat him. I don't really care who begat who. Still his word. And then there's that mysterious stuff, you know, that, that, that book of Revelation and you got dragons and, you got, and you've got trumpets and, and, and stuff happening and weird things and mystical things and I just don't get that stuff so I don't read that. I love the words of John Ortberg who said, I propose we practice the holy habit of reading the Holy, holy Bible whole. If this stuff gets in you down in your guts, it's going to shape you in ways beyond your asking or imagination. We don't probe and hair split and dissect the Bible. It does that to us. It's what the author of Hebrews said. He said, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. See, it's amazing to me how without exposure to God's word, I can think or act, be away, have an attitude and think it's okay when I realize later it's not. Check out this picture. I hate it when I think I'm buying organic vegetables, but when I get home I discover they're just regular donuts. <laughs> not even close. I have found that when I don't read the scriptures, when I finally do, I realize I wasn't even close. I thought this was okay. I thought I selected the right stuff. I didn't. I didn't. I was so far from being the lover that he created me to be. And the good news is that as I become a greater lover of God, I become a greater lover of people. But unless I'm taking those scriptures and letting it do that inside of me, I begin to make choices that are not correct. Without being immersed into God's word, I will be seduced by this culture. I promise you I will. I will conform. I will wear its mask. I will not be the lover God designed me to be. I will, I will miss my reason for existence. And I will continually strive to fill a void in me with cultural promises that actually deplete my life, not give me life. I will only be transformed by the renewing of my mind if I'm really going to live out this one thing. So in your notes, I ask you to join with me in living this out. So I'm going to ask you to, to, to create this holy habit if you don't have one along these lines of, of focusing on this one thing and letting the scripture create that in you. I'm asking you to do this, first of all, set aside daily time to study and read the scripture. I'm going to invite you to use a good study Bible. If, if, you, if you don't know what to use, I use the English Standard Version, ESV, and it's a great study Bible because sometimes I read it and go, I don't get that, and look down, oh, here's some notes, and it'll, it'll explain it to me. I encourage you to, to read it and discuss it during the week with somebody else because actually the Jewish tradition was that you didn't take the scriptures privately, you, you read them publicly and then you had public discussion. It's community. If you don't know even where to begin, I encourage you to just read the, the book of John and if you don't have a Bible, we'll get you one. But I'm encouraging you to try this this week. Remember, we're walking through these holy habits, asking you to experiment with them during the week. Try it this week. Secondly, pray the scriptures as you read. Because as you read the scriptures, the scriptures read you. 
And, and so some of you are so intent on schedules and structures and, and achievements. You go, okay, how many chapters can I read? 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 Stop. As you go through the scripture, stop and say, God, I'm going to pray this to you. Early in the morning, I want to rise and I want to pray to you. Or I, I confess my sin to you. You, you know the, the, the depth of this pain. Oh, Lord, I'm not trusting you to, to be my resource. So, so talk to him about what you're reading. Talk to him about it because he's going to talk to you. He said, how do I know I can hear him? Oh, he's mighty enough that you'll hear him. So begin to, to talk to him about what you're reading. Confess your sins or declare your faith or ask for wisdom. This is about ingesting and digesting what God's saying to you. Take your time. This is not a race. So some days I'll sit down and I'll, I'm going through the Psalms right now. And, and, and generally what I do is I try to go all the way through the Bible. And I, I can't do it in a year because I stop too often. But I'll go all the way through and then, and then I'll start again with a new translation. This time as I finished the ESV version, I said I want to go back to Psalms. So I just went back to Psalms and I'm going through Psalms. But I'll, I may get just one Psalm in one day because suddenly I'm just saying, God, what about this? And I start journaling what I think he's saying to me. Thirdly, meditate on one thought or verse for the day. Think about it. Say, okay, God, this one thing I'm going I'm to just think about today. As I process through the day, it's going to come back in my mind. I'm going to just think about how this works in me. You know, meditation really doesn't mean just a private thinking. It actually means to read the Scripture out loud so all your senses grab hold of that thing. It's a slow process of sustained attention to God. Fourthly, let it not be a legalistic ritual, but a transformation into one thing to be created into a lover of God. Make that your goal every time you read the scripture. I want to be the best lover to you, God, that I can be. Make that your one thing, always, always, always. You're not here just because it's religious. You're not here so that you can feel good. You're not here so you can sing and feel good. You are here to be shaped into a lover of God. <clears throat> and Paul said the amazing thing about that is that it prepares you for what God wants you to do. John Ortberg says that the Bible were to completely fulfill its mission, our minds would be so transformed, so filled with thoughts and feelings of truth, love, joy, and humility that our lives would become one uninterrupted series of acts of grace and moral beauty. Every moment would be a miniature reflection of life in the kingdom of God. He said, that's what I got for you. So will you do this? Will you practice this holy habit this week? And, if, and as you're looking at all these holy habits we're going through, would you do this? If you don't got this one down... Start using it, start doing it, and practice it between now and Easter. So, why didn't Mandisa go to the Grammys? Here's what she wrote on her Facebook this week. Finally, the fourth reason I chose not to attend this year. Yes, both times I have gone to the Grammys, I have witnessed performances I wish I could erase from my memory. And yes, I fast-forwarded through several performances this year, but my reason is not because of them. It's because of me. I have been struggling with being in the world, not of it lately. I have fallen prey to the alluring pull of flesh, pride, and selfish desires quite a bit recently. Then she quotes 1 John 2.15, don't fall in love with this corrupt world or worship the things it can offer. Those who love its corrupt ways don't have the Father's love living within them. All the things the world can offer to you, the allure of pleasure, the passion to have things, and the pompous sense of superiority do not come from the Father. So she says, I, I knew that submerging myself into an environment that celebrates those things was risky for me at this time. 
I'm taking steps to renew my mind. Catch that? To renew my mind. To become the heavenly father-centered, completely satisfied with Jesus and Holy Spirit-led woman I felt I was a few months ago. But I'm feeling a bit like an infant learning to walk again on shaky legs. Perhaps being alone with him as my name was announced was protecting myself from where my flesh would have tried to drag me had I been on that stage. It gave me time to focus with what I do for a living and the doors that have opened for me to sing about Jesus on mainstream platforms. I take the phrase from John 15, 19, be in the world, not of it, seriously. God never taught us to stay in our safe Christian bubbles, completely separating from those who do not share our faith. After all, how else will people come to know him if not by his children? We must live, look, and speak differently so that we shine. I can't force my morality on anyone else. What I can do is live my life in such a way that reflects well on my Savior, stand firm in my values, and do all these things in love. And if God can use this Grammy win to advance his kingdom, I'm all in. How about you? You all in? Then let the word of God dwell in us richly. Let's focus on one thing that we will become a perfect lover of God. Would you stand? And so I want you to check out this sign before you go. <laughs> Prayer is powerful. Next week we talk about it. I want to see you here. Now, today as you go through these next hours, may you develop a hunger to know God better. May you have the courage to rearrange your time so that you can be trained to become the lover of God. And may you find great joy as he unfolds your destiny as you seek him. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. God bless you. Have a great day.